Hello everyone, and welcome to episode 3 of The Friendly Dungeon Master. I am your host and narrator, The Friendly Dungeon Master. This podcast follows the exploits of a group of adventurers as they traverse the land of Talaris, a vibrant landscape filled with political intrigue, terrifying monsters, ancient cults, and a pantheon of deities struggling to regain their power in the world. In the last episode, Winfred Gwynevere, the elven druid, had ventured to the Cave of Larks, a goblin whom Bogus the Dwarf believed had cursed him. Larks had proven to be no threat, however, and he and Winfred decided to confront Bogus and prove Larks' innocence. We resume our adventure as the unlikely pair are making their way towards Brendor and Bogus. Winfred and Larks continued along the forest path towards the village of Brendor. Along the way, Larks continued to impress Winfred with his mastery of the common tongue. The goblin was intelligent, that much was clear. Much more intelligent than his heritage was given credit for. He spoke little of his past, but knew much about the forest and its plants and wildlife. Larks and Winfred eventually came to the tree line that curved alongside the roadway. Once they crossed this threshold, there would be no going back. Larks strode forward with Winfred in tow. They moved down the path towards Brendor, Winfred keeping an eye out for anyone who might catch sight of them. Sure enough, once they were within Brendor's fences, a young woman carrying a pitcher of water spotted the pair. Winfred attempted to shield Larks from view, but the girl caught sight of the yellow-skinned, red-eyed goblin and screamed, dropping her pail. She ran straight towards the home of Bulgus and Thelga, shrieking all the while. Wen and Larks gave chase, hoping to get to Bulgus before the girl could ruin any chance they had of convincing the dwarf that this day did not need to end in bloodshed. The pair ran the few thousand feet to the home of the dwarves, where they saw Bulgus standing behind the low stone wall of his property, great axe in hand. The dwarf had on a steel helmet and had managed to get his gauntlets and a breastplate on as well before rushing outside to meet his foe. Thelga stood behind him looking uncertain. As the elfin goblin approached, Bulgus held up his axe threateningly. That's far enough now, elf. I see you've brought the wizard back with you. What'd you do? Fall under a spell? You working together? Bulgus's voice shook with anger, his hands wringing the wood of the great axe as he spoke. Master Balgus, I assure you that I am under no spell, nor am I working with the goblin you see here. In fact, this goblin's name is Larks, and he has a proposition for you. I ask that you hear him out before swinging that axe. A proposition? I've got a proposition for you. You take this curse away from me, and I'll grant you a quick death, eh? It was at this point that Thelga moved forward to step between her husband and Winfred. She raised her hand towards Balgus in a calming motion and asked Winfred why she had brought Larks into the village. I did not bring him in, Lady Thelga. Larks is here of his own free will. He knows that you fear him and his kind, and he's tired of living in a cave alone and hated. He wanted to come to your village to show you that you have nothing to fear from him. He offers this as a proof of his goodwill. Winfred produced one of the vials of antidote that Larks had given her earlier and tossed it to Thelga. Thelga caught it, confused by the strange wooden bottle she now held in her hand. This is a vial of antidote for the poison that is currently afflicting your husband. Do not take me at my word, Thelga. Inspect the back of Thalgus's left hand. You will see a tiny pinprick left by one of these. As she produced the needle-like dart she had pocketed when the cave's trap had sprung. 
Larks is not a magician. He is simply a talented herbalist, much like yourself, who used this poison to protect himself when his home is threatened. He regrets very much that Balgus was injured and wants to help him be well again. Felga looked at the vial, then opened it. She sniffed the contents, then looked back towards Balgus. She moved to his side, pushing the axe down as she took his gauntleted hand. Removing the glove, she turned the appendage over and looked intently at the wound Winfred knew was still there. A few moments passed. The silence seemed to stretch on for ages until Thelga, with a wry grin, pushed Balgus's hand away from her own, and quicker than she looked, clocked the man on the back of his helmeted head. You daft old coot! You ain't cursed! It's poison like she says! Balgus flinched at the blow, his face reddening. He glared at Winfred and took the vial from Thelga's hand. He held it up to his face, peering into it. I'm supposed to believe that a goblin poisoned me, made me sick, and now he wants to cure me? Bah! Like as not, this here is a real poison, and this was his plan all along. With that, Balgus drained the vial, wiping his face with the back of his ungloved hand, then smirked at Larks defiantly. He tensed himself, waiting for the poison to take effect. Moments passed again. Nothing happened. Until Balgus's breathing eased. He began taking deep, long breaths, like a man who has had a great weight lifted from his chest and can breathe deep for the first time. Balgus's color, which had been slightly pale since Winfred had met him, became a deep, ruddy red under his great beard. Winfred suspected that some of that color was due to the fact that the dwarf seemed very embarrassed. Without a word, he jammed his axe head into the ground and turned, stomping purposefully away into his house. As he approached the door, they all heard him shout, Well, don't just stand there gawking. Come in. Let's have a talk. Thelga smiled at Winfred, and even at Larks, who had been standing stock still for this entire exchange. Larks looked up at Winfred, and she nodded. The two moved into the gate and entered Balgus's home. Once inside, Larks became even more nervous. He flinched when spoken to, as if he expected this all to be a ruse and for his life to end at any moment. That moment never came, however. Thelga busied herself in the kitchen as Balgus settled into his customary chair by the hearth, one hand stroking his long beard as the other drummed on the nearby table. He gestured for Winfred and Larks to sit, which they did. Winfred began explaining her trek to the cave, recounting every detail that had transpired, making special note of the trap she had found and the poison dart that it contained. Larks interrupted her here, telling Balgus in an almost pleading voice that he had never meant for the trap to hurt a person. He had placed it there as a deterrent to large animals that might seek to claim the cave as their own, but hadn't considered that someone would come to hunt him. He had thought he had been careful enough not to be seen. Once Balgus had entered, and Larks had seen the great axe, though, he had assumed that the surrounding townsfolk wanted him dead simply for being a goblin. Balgus replied that he wasn't far off the mark. Goblins weren't known for being friendly, after all. Between the three of them, eventually four, as Thelga came and joined the conversation, they reasoned out that Larks had acted rationally, according to how he had been treated by his clan, and considering the actions of Balgus and the townspeople. Larks also admitted guilt for his entire species, a fault that was not his own, but he felt responsible for nonetheless. Winfred eventually managed to broker a tenuous truce between the goblin and the dwarves, which entailed that Larks would no longer live in the cave. 
Rather, he would live in the village, in a small dwelling behind the home of Balgus and Thelga, where they could keep watch over him. Larks would work for the dwarves, providing labor and security, and in return would be given free reign in the village. He would be free to make his own way and prove himself a worthy addition to the village, with the promise from Thelga that she would see to it that the wives of all of the husbands in Brendor knew of this deal. This would ensure that the husbands knew of it as well, she assured Larks. As long as everyone knew that the goblin was under Balgus and Thelga's protection, no harm would come to him. Lark seemed eager for this partnership, and for the company it would provide. He had been terribly lonely, he explained, with nobody to talk to for many months. Even among his own kin, he had been an outcast, always working alone and being ostracized. Balgus speculated that it was because the goblin seemed to have a conscience, a remark which Lark's, after a moment of reactionary consternation, begrudgingly agreed with. He was different from other goblins, he knew. After the truce was agreed upon and the arrangements made, Balgus began calling other villagers over to the house to meet Larks. Many were timid, afraid at first, but Larks's command of the common tongue and his eagerness to please those whom he felt indebted to quickly won over the majority of the villagers. There were some holdouts, of course, but Balgus assured Larks that once he was working and making himself known as an upstanding member of the village, they would come around. Old prejudices die hard, the dwarf explained, prompting a wry smile from the goblin. Winfred, having completed her task, set about making herself ready for the next leg of her journey. She would need to meditate first, of course, but she carefully gathered her supplies and her weapons, knowing that she would be leaving long before anyone else was awake in the morning. She sat down next to the hearth and entered her trance. All night, she was aware of larks quietly watching her. Goblins being nocturnal, she did not flinch at the scrutiny, but did keep her sword close. Old prejudices die hard, after all. When her trance ended, Winfred found that her leg had completely healed and that she felt completely refreshed and restored. She quietly gathered her things and began moving towards the door when she felt a hand tug at her sleeve. Larks was there, looking up at her with those glowing red eyes. Thank you. You have made it possible for me to have a happy life again. I will do right by these people, I swear it. As a token of my gratitude, please return to the cave. There are passages that go past where we met, and they might lead to something interesting. Nothing dangerous, I assure you, but there might be things that you will find useful. As he finished saying this, he bowed deeply and quickly scurried out of the room, giving Winfred no chance to respond. She shook her head at the perplexing creature, then left the house. She was going back to the cave, apparently. She found the entrance again easily, and traversed the narrow passageway back to Lark's campsite, there, behind the rack of curing game, she found two narrow passages, just wide enough for her to slip through. She chose the one on the right, trusting her dark vision to keep her safe. She actively looked for any traps, even though Larks had said the path wasn't dangerous. One couldn't be too careful. The path twisted and turned back on itself twice before widening to a very large cavern. She couldn't see the other side of it from where she had entered, so she lit a torch to brighten the room. What she saw made her instinctively gasp. Four humanoid skeletons lay scattered about the room, with a much larger fifth corpse slumped against the far wall. Judging by the shape of it and its size, she gathered that the skeleton had once belonged to a cave troll. A very large cave troll. Winfred gingerly stepped around the skeletons on the floor before rounding a large boulder in front of the troll. As she came around the side, she saw something that caught her attention. A leather strap 
covered in a thick layer of dust, peeked out from behind the other side of the stone. Winfred followed the strap to a satchel, intricately embroidered and seemingly untouched by decay and rot. She instantly knew that this was a magical item. Excitedly, Winfred moved toward the satchel before remembering stories she had heard of the dead returning to life when disturbed. Carefully, she removed her quarterstaff from its sling and tapped the foot of one of the skeletons. It crumbled immediately. There was not left of these creatures but dust, it seemed. Feeling bolstered, Winfred picked up the satchel, dusting it off as she did so. It was definitely magical in nature. She felt she knew what it was, but she would need to examine it further to be sure. She slung the bag around her shoulder and kept looking through the rest of the cavern. Near the troll skeleton, she noticed a faint bit of white under the ash-gray stone dust on the floor. She picked it up, and as she did so, found that it was a scroll. The fact that it too was untouched by decay seemed to indicate that it was also magical in nature. She would have to investigate it as well. Winfred searched through the cavern for anything else interesting, finding a few wayward gold pieces, but nothing else of note. She did notice that the cavern had three other entrances, all big enough to accommodate a large, troll-sized individual. She saw scrapes along the walls where something had brushed against it, but they looked very old. It didn't look as though anything had traversed these passages in many years. Feeling that she had had enough adventure for one day, Winfred turned back towards where she had entered the cavern and left. She found her way back to the exit of the cave and left, covering the entrance with the makeshift camouflage that Larks had constructed. She made her way toward the roadway heading north, still moving towards Talim. She traveled for the rest of the day through the forest, not hurrying, feeling pleased with how things had turned out with the supposed goblin wizard and the village of Brindor. She was genuinely hopeful that they would find peace with one another and looked forward to visiting the village in the future to check on how things were progressing. Winfred's trek took her into the late hours of the evening and feeling weary from a day of travel, she stopped to camp for the night. Before she entered her trance, however, she decided to see if her suspicions about the bag she had found were correct. Winfred built a fire in a clearing, and knowing something of magical items from her travels, turned the bag inside out. It expelled a number of contents before her. A scroll tied with a red string, two bottles of liquid, one of which she immediately recognized as a potion of healing, and a small brass ring. The druid quickly turned the bag right side out and placed the contents back inside, feeling them vanish once they were within the bag, confirming her earlier suspicions. She had found a bag of holding. Not a terribly rare item, but an expensive one. Positively giddy at her good fortune, Winfred left the items within the bag for now. There would be time to examine them all in the morning. For now, she would sleep, knowing that she, in a small way, had contributed to the betterment of the life of at least one goblin, and hopefully more than one villager. Time would tell, but she thought time would tell a wonderful story. Thank you for listening to The Friendly Dungeon Master, Episode 3, The Fledgling Diplomat, Part 2. Tune in next week to follow Winfred on her journey as she makes a new friend, uncovers ancient secrets, and finds herself once again facing her most hated foes. The adventure continues on next week's episode, Orcs and Dragonborn. As always, the podcast is available for download on SoundCloud, iTunes, and the Google Play Store. 
Follow along the companion blog at scarecrow2407.wixsite.com slash thefriendlydm. Follow me on Twitter at metal underscore scarecrow or thefriendlydm. And check out the Facebook page, The Friendly Dungeon Master. All music used in this podcast was composed and recorded by Melissa Elliott and is used under the CC-BY 4.0 license.